You may have heard that most people who are black have O blood type. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help us save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Let's say I'm trying to lurk on you. You know, see what you're doing and who you're doing it with. I can stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. You do that? Not anymore. <laughs> I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages. So no public feeds. And the money is immediately available to use with Apple Pay. Babe, did you just send me a dollar on Apple Cash? I just said our cash isn't content. Shh. <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Yo, real talk, sometimes I just be nervous for the sake of being nervous. <laughs> well, you mask it very well because I can never tell when you're nervous. Where? Yeah, dead ass. And me, some about my anxiety, <laughs> be kicking in at the worst times. Well, I, I feel like I'm in a constant state of anxiety, so I don't even know what the worst time is. <laughs> That's true. Dead ass. Hey, I'm Kadeen. And I'm DeVal. And we're the Ellises. You may know us from posting funny videos with our boys. And reading each other publicly as a form of therapy. Wait, I make you need therapy? Most days. Wow. <laughs> oh, and one more important thing to mention. We're married. Yes, sir, we mm-hmm. are. We created this podcast to open dialogue about some of life's most taboo topics. Things most folks don't want to talk about. Through the lens of a millennial married couple. Deadass is a term that we say every day. So when we say deadass, we're actually saying facts. 100. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. <laughs> we about to take Pillow Talk to a whole new level. Deadass starts right now. So, I'm going to take y'all back to 1999. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> Nine, no, no, 1999 BC? 2000. No, no, no. Yo, yo, you wild disrespectful, son. 25. Not one of those people, too. Don't worry about it. 2000. I'm getting ready to start my first JV basketball game. Right? Okay. And we're in the weight room because it's a home game. We're in the weight room. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And out of nowhere, I start to feel like a little like lightheaded and tired. Like I just felt extremely tired. And I was like, let me sit down for a minute. I thought maybe I didn't drink enough water or stuff. So I sit down and I lay down on the bench and I actually go to sleep before the game. (laughs) Just go to sleep. And then they wake me up. Yo, yo, devout, devout. Wake up, wake up. So I wake up and mm-hmm. immediately when I wake up, I feel like okay, but disoriented. Mm-hmm. Like you know, someone wakes you up out of a sleep. I'm yeah. like, how did I go to sleep that hard and that fast? So mm-hmm. I wake up, get disoriented. We run outside for our introductions for the basketball game. Throughout the whole thing, it was like almost like foggy mm-hmm. and I could not get focused. Like I was just like, I was like, hey, what's happening? What's happening? I could not get focused. And we start the game and 
the first couple trips down the court, I remember trying to tell myself, like, yo, get get with it. Like, what is happening? Like, you've done this so many times. Why? What is this feeling? Are you sick? And I thought I was sick. I thought I'm coming down with the flu. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I, I thought something was happening to my body. And it wasn't until I got the basketball and I went through a, a motion and I had made a basket. And when the basket went in, the fogginess disappeared. And all I heard, it went from being like, oh, to, hey, yeah, let's go. And I could hear clearly. Mm. And then I relaxed. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the seventh game of the year we played Fort Hamilton. I remember saying to myself, I was like, man, I think I have performance anxiety. Mm. And my coach said, I think you do too. Anxiety comes from being anxious. Mm -hmm. So it's only right <laughs> that we sing a song that talks about. Being I know where this is anxious. going. You ready? Yes. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, you got that down. <clears throat> Body roll. <clears throat> <clears throat> Now I understand why Genuine had that vein so here in his neck. Anxious. How you sing at that high of a register? <laughs> the bulging vein on the Said side of his I'm neck. So anxious. That's a good one. So meet me at eleven. That was our prime, man. Eleven when we talking. It was our prime. Do you remember what that song was, was playing when you? Uh oh, uh -oh. Me, <laughs> yo, yo, remember. yo. Wait, remember. you know what? Let's pay a quick bill. I'm gonna come back out of this break. And let y'all know about the time Deval pulled some dramatic movie shit on campus oh, to a genuine God. song. All right. I will let y'all know about that when we get back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, y'all, losing two loved ones in a matter of six months, it can be a lot. And a lot of times when you're dealing with grief, you have a lot to get off your chest with your family. That's absolutely right. You know, people carry around all different types of stresses, big and small. When you keep them bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to kind of figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash deadass today to get 10% off your first visit. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash deadass. You may be aware that most people who are black have O blood type. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. 
Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Hey, what's good, y'all? I think it's important for you to understand why black representation in media is important. It's important because the media represents how people view us. And it's important that they understand that black people are not a monolithic people. That is a fact. And the next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Let's say I'm trying to lurk on you, you know, see what you're doing and who you're doing it with. I can stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's kind of weird. You do that? Not anymore. <laughs> I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages. So no public feeds. And the money is immediately available to use with Apple Pay. Babe, did you just send me a dollar on Apple Cash? I just said our cash isn't content. Shh. <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. All right, so we're back. <laughs> so to double down on story time has nothing to do with anxiety, but real quick, because of the song choice. Oh, a nigga had anxiety at this moment. But well, true. We both had anxiety at this moment. So this is uh, back to October 2002. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm on campus at Hofstra with DeVal. At this point, I hadn't transferred yet, but I had put my transfer papers in. Um, and DeVal and I had been talking for a couple weeks. And I realized that DeVal was simultaneously talking to... You didn't realize. I told you. Right. Well, this is me coming to the realization that after DeVal told me <laughs> that realized, he like was, was talking lying. to... None of us said that. When he said that he had somebody back in high school that he was mm-hmm. kind of still talking to, they were kind of trying to figure out, you know, mm-hmm. where their relationship was. I was like, oh, okay. So you're kind of talking to somebody... I'm not about to be playing number two to you. So what no, no, I'm going to no. do no, no, is... No, no, no. You're talking about dramatics. I'm a dip. No, 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 no. Stop. If you go talk about dramatics, start about the drama. The drama started in the room. <laughs> we was in the room. She's on top of me and we're making out, right? And we're making out. And out of nowhere during the makeout session, mm-hmm. I feel water falling down my face. And then I'm like... It was tears. I'm like, yeah, it why... It water. Why? That's, I was trying to get to that. This, this, this is what you call building a story. <laughs> All right. Well, clearly this they is, knew what it was. No, and sometimes, and it's good to tell stories in a dramatic way since you talked about being dramatic, right? Well, you took over my whole story, so I got I felt, no sympathy No, 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 no. I'm just doing this part. You could take it back over. Mm-hmm. I felt water falling down my face, and I look up, and Kadeen is crying. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, hey, 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 what, like, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> like, are you okay? Are you comfortable? Do you feel safe? She's just like, yeah, I feel safe. I just... I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I'm just like, you can't do what? Like, we weren't even doing that yet. Like, we was 
just making out. She's like, I'm sorry, I have to go. Like, I don't want to be anyone second. And I was just like, but I told you I don't want to be nobody's boyfriend. I'm trying to figure out. And she's like, I know, I just can't be no one's second. And then she gets up, gets all of her stuff, and walks out of the room. I walked out the room. Because I was like, what am I doing here? Like, I, I don't really want a boyfriend, but I'm really liking this guy way too much. <sighs> you know, he doesn't really want a girlfriend. He kind of is talking to somebody still. Like, I was just like, you know what? Forget this. Before I get any deeper into the situation, mm -hmm. I'm a dip. So I get in my little green Toyota RAV4 at the time and packed up all my stuff. I was leaving campus. I was and I didn't think go you were going to leave. She walked out the door and I used to live on the second floor. Uh -huh. I stayed in my room and I looked out the window and I watched her go out the door and I watched her go through the courtyard. And I was like, <laughs> then I just put on my flip flops right. and I ran. Because once I went through the courtyard and I went through the gate, I couldn't get back in. So yeah. you know, I was gone. So I got in my car and I was like, you know what? Forget this. Like, I'm gonna just go, move on with my life. This is not really anything I planned for anyway. So I'm driving now at this point towards the exit at mm -hmm. the campus, and we reach this four way stop sign. <laughs> so it's the biggest intersection by the entrance of yeah, Hofstra. Yeah. And. I see DeVal's car come out of nowhere and he pretty much comes from around me cuts and then me cuts off. me off. So mm -hmm. I'm like, we're cars, our cars are like a T now, like a capital T. Like mine mm -hmm. is the base and his is the top of the T. Mm -hmm. So he blocks me in turn blocking four-way traffic. And then he comes over to me, swings my car door open I did all this, and yeah. pulls me out the car. And he's just like, don't leave. Please don't leave me. Don't leave me. And what's playing in the background is is genuine song Stingy. Stingy. So that's how we link the genuine. Please forgive me. I'm just stingy. Yep. Oh, it's something to hide it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> and I was like, but you're being so stingy at this moment because oh, you want to have me and her oh, and everything, but you don't want a girlfriend. I don't understand. Me. I'm selfish, not uh -huh. fight You're it. the only one with the only love. That was yes, a good that one. was a good song. But that was such a moment. Oh that my was God. a moment. When they do the, the well, movie about, about our say, life. I well, we have a movie about it because we got the book now. So the next yeah. thing is the movie deal. All right, yeah, come on now. We're going to write this whole deal. script out. And that has to be one That's of the, the most moment. dramatic moments in the movie for All sure. it was missing was rain. Oh my God, if there was rain. That's all I miss it was rain. Forget it. I cut Kadeen off and then, we, and then she was just like crying still. And I, I, I hugged her and then we started kissing her. And all we hear is, hang, hang, yo, you blocking mad traffic, son. <laughs> <laughs> In true New York we fashion. We literally were blocking, we were blocking like the traffic. entire intersection. But yo, nobody want to see all that shit, man. Go to your room. <laughs> People was cursing us out. But it's that moment where you don't hear anything around you. I yeah. literally don't know what was going on around me. But all I know is then I got back in the car, pulled over. And then we probably made out for like another hour after yeah, that. Yeah, we made out for like another hour. It was, it was great. It <laughs> good was times. Good times. The great. memories. Oh, to be 18. I know. I know. 18 and in mm. love, y'all. Mm. That shit gave me anxiety too, though. Yeah. Not going to yeah. lie. Not going to lie. So yeah. we're talking anxiety today. Uh, what yeah. did that look like for you? What is it? How do we cope? Um, I feel like the term anxiety gets thrown around a lot, too. But there's so many different ways that it can manifest itself um, in yeah. people. So well, um, the first thing was I'm gonna talk about story, story time. time. Yeah, um, I was in tenth grade playing JV basketball, and I was at the time I was I was the best basketball player on the team. Like it wasn't even close. Who was the best basketball player? So I felt like there was a lot of pressure on me to perform. Mm -hmm. And before this, I had never been on like a, a team. I was never in a real team environment where everything was on me. Mm -hmm. So I remember getting ready to play that first game and feeling like 
if I don't score this many points, if I have turnovers, if I do this, we're going to lose. And everybody's going to be watching me. If I make mistakes, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the laughing stock and I'm going to lose my spot. And then my parents won't love me. And then I'm going to be mad. Like my mind just started racing of all the things that could possibly go wrong. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I had to slow my mind down in order to become at ease with playing. Mm-hmm. And then it used to happen before every game. And I remember Coach Velasquez used to be like, you all right? Because I'd be sweating. You know what I'm saying? I would have to lay down and like kind of close my eyes and I would take a nap like right before the game and she'd be like, yo, wake up. Like, let's go. And I played well. I always, my, my first seven games, I averaged over like 15 points. I was blocking shots and I was fast and I was doing all the things. She's like, you're playing well. Like, what's the matter? But it was always the fear of failure, n- failure that used to just like make me so nervous. Mm-hmm. And I started to develop a system and I played football for the first time the year later. Mm-hmm. And I had the same thing all of those football games. Going through all of college, I had the same, all of college, I had performance anxiety. Before every game, I'll never forget, Stephen Bowen used to go to the bathroom. <laughs> shout out to my boy, Steve. And he would throw up. Are you serious? He would throw up. I would sit in my locker and I would go to sleep. <laughs> Everybody it manifests itself so differently because for yes. me I could never think about sleeping. Usually it's my stomach. I'm usually on the toilet, like got, yeah. got bubble guts before any moments like that happen. No, I I realized talking to my teammates that everyone in the locker room had their, their thing. form of anxiety, and it mm. would it would come, especially being a Division One athlete. Mm-hmm. So much is riding on your success, and you're used to being the most successful person. Mm-hmm. Like less than one percent of athletes become Division One athletes. So when you're in the locker room, you're in the locker room with 1% of the population and all of those people have that weight and pressure. On top of that, there's a weight and pressure from coaches who being like, we got to win. We got to do this in order to be successful. And I used to watch everybody go through their routine mm. before the game. Everybody in the locker room had a routine and it was exactly the same. For example, Willie Colon would pee a thousand times. <laughs> like He was always going to the bathroom. Like I said, Stephen Bowen would just go in the bathroom and throw up. Sharif would listen to music. Terry mm-hmm. would get quiet and not talk to nobody. I would be in my locker and I would sleep until they said it's time for specialists to go outside. Like mm. everybody had their thing. Mm-hmm. And I, start- I could never tell. Just watching you play with such confidence, like yeah, thinking about even college days, every time you hit the field, it was like a show. And I was just yeah. like, man, I could never tell that you had that um, anxiety happening well i can tell you how i learned to get through the anxiety mm. and well do you want to you want to go through some of these stats well, and yeah, then we yeah. Can let's talk unpack about what, what anxiety looks like because like i said it can manifest itself in different ways for different people and in several related diagnoses so um diagnosis <laughs> that's a shout out to cairo that's like his thing to that's say his now. word to say. Funny, he I, saw it. I laughed yeah, when i saw I it because i was like oh my god diagnosis <laughs> <laughs> they include um, uh, ocd so obsessive compulsive disorder post-traumatic stress disorder uh, phobias it can be panic disorder and generalized anxiety disorder and common symptoms include physical anxiety such as like a racing heart you have a higher pulse um, mm-hmm. tension in the chest butterflies in the stomach that's me feeling anxious or afraid feeling irritable or on edge mm-hmm. um, engaging in compulsions uh, such as washing hands to ease anxiety avoiding people or places that remind someone of trauma mm-hmm. um, experiencing obtrusive nightmares memories or flashbacks having trouble concentrating because of distracting anxiety having fears or phobias developing anxiety and tension related ailments such as tension headaches or chronic muscle pain mm-hmm. an estimated 
31.1% of U.S. adults experience any anxiety disorder at some point in their life. Women are more likely to experience mild, moderate, or severe symptoms of anxiety than men. Fact. And research shows, trusted source tells us that anxiety may present differently in black Americans who are more likely to develop PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, than white Americans. Yes. So there you have it. Lots of different ways that it so, can show itself. This is the crazy part. I've noticed that, and anxiety starts young, mm-hmm. right? I noticed that Jackson. Yes, I was gonna say. Yes. he shares. The, he shares the, both of us, right? Because we both have performance anxiety. Yes. The absolute worst thing for me as a kid, <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you, and I know how it was directly linked to confidence too. I feel like anxiety and confidence mm-hmm. go hand in hand. We're gonna talk about it. My, um, I was in, taking piano lessons. Hated to play the piano. Hated it, but started it because I asked, and my mom was a believer. And you started it, you you're finish going to see it, it absolutely. Like, yeah. That's the discipline component. And I was like, this thing that not as easy as it looked, mm-hmm. um, you know. But I stuck through it, and I really loved my music teacher at the time. So it was an incentive for me to want to mm-hmm. just at least spend time with him and hang out and stuff. And anytime somebody would come by the house or at my elementary school, Bethlehem Academy, shout out to BBA, they'd have a recital or they'd have a a chapel service and it'd be like entertainment by. And my mom was always like, Kadeen can play the piano. And I'm just like, no, I can't. Like, why are you volunteering me? And they also knew my teachers and our headmasters at the time knew that I played the piano. So they thought that every time, you know, something was happening, it was showtime at the Apollo. And I hated that because every single time I had to play the piano in front of everyone, I got so nervous and crazy anxiety to the point where one time I remember performing and I could not even get through the song. Like I literally was mm-hmm. just drawing a blank, couldn't play anything. My mom had to come out of the audience and sit next to me to help me get through. Yeah. To help me when get that through. Happen? This happened when I was maybe in the second grade. Oh, you was eight. Yeah. Seven. About like, I get second, that. second or seven, third eight, grade. Yeah, I think yeah, about yeah. the third grade. That's baby. You a baby still. Yeah. But I just still, I mean, I took piano lessons up until I was about 11 or 12. And I mm. just, I, I, no, it just never stuck with me. And I think it's because I just wasn't confident with it. So that lack of confidence in playing the piano gave me more anxiety to perform. This is what I think, because I noticed this with Jackson. I believe it could be a myth. But I know anxiety anxiety sometimes comes from internal factors. Mm -hmm. But I do think some of it can be nurture, Mm -hmm. right? Like, for example, Jackson became extremely nervous about basketball the more I screamed at him about basketball. Mm -hmm. I realized the turn in Jackson when I took the pressure off of him to perform Mm -hmm. and just go out and have fun. Mm -hmm. I no longer get the same... Um, approach to the game as he used to. For example, last year this time, Jackson told me, and this is just me growing as a parent Mm -hmm. and knowing when you fucked up. Mm -hmm. Jackson came to me and said he wanted to play basketball. Jackson came to me and said he wanted to be in the NBA. So I'm thinking I'm doing my son a disservice if I don't put him in an environment where he can be successful at that sport. Mm -hmm. Um, Playing in the NFL, they used to have a a motto called make practice harder than the games. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, what what they say is you put athletes in a stressful environment in practice so that the games can become fun. So I was putting Jackson on purpose in stressful environments when we practiced and worked on things because mm-hmm. I wanted the games to be fun. So I was putting all this pressure and stuff on him in practice on purpose mm-hmm. so that he'll be prepared 
when the anxiety comes during the game. Right. And it backfired like a motherfucker. <laughs> sure because <laughs> all of that pressure and anxiety I put on him in practice, he carried that into the game. Mm -hmm. And his thought process was, he literally said to me, before before every game, he would come in the, in the room, Daddy, I don't feel good. Yep. And I'm like, what's the matter? And he's like, my, my back hurts. I got a headache. Mm -hmm. My throat has an itch in it. He would fall asleep in the car. He would fall asleep in the car. Sleep it out. Yeah. And I feel like he, I knew he was trying to avoid the idea or thought of having to play so he would fall asleep in the car. Mm -hmm. But he would always come up with an ailment. And mm -hmm. I'd be trying to figure out what's the ailment? What's the ailment? Then I realized like, bro, you nervous? Mm -hmm. And he'd be like, yeah. Yeah. And to the point where he'd be crying. Yeah. Right? He'd be crying. And I'm just like, dude, why are you so nervous for? Like you plan to play the game. Like it's about to be fun. And he would try to hide that from me and be like, yeah, I know, I know. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. But I'd see him getting nervous and nervous and nervous and something be happening. And I'd be like, dude, what's the matter? Mm -hmm. And he told me, he just like, I just, I'm, I'm afraid that if I lose, that you're not, you're like, you're going to hate me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I'm the reason why you have anxiety, bro. Mm -hmm. And I had to realize, like, here I am trying to avoid you from getting anxiety. And I'm creating all of the anxiousness because of my you know, my anxiety, like I wanted my son, I want my son to be great because he said he wants to be great. I'm also not realizing that at the time that he was 10, mm -hmm. you know, and the pressures you put on an adult professional athlete, you can't put on a 10 year old. Right. And I was thinking that if I put it on him from 10, he'll be able to learn how to deal with it by the time he becomes a high school student. And I was like, yo, D. Right, there's yeah, levels to this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I had to say my own name. I had to say, yo, D, D Val, calm down, all right? Your son is out here looking like he's about to die because he's playing a game that you're taking all of the fun out of. Right. And I just started to tell him, like, yo, have fun. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you win and lose. I don't care how many points you have. I don't care how many turnovers yeah. you have. It's like Go how much is really at stake at, right. uh, <laughs> for fifth and sixth right. basketball. You know what I'm saying? For real. But I had to teach myself that. Right. And... I watched Jackson over the last four months mm -hmm. run to get his gym back. Now, I'm like, yo, dad, I'm going to the gym. Lad, can you go to the gym? Dad, can you do this? And the anxiety is gone now. Well, he used to get anxiety for practice. Do you think you can teach someone how to get through anxiety? Because, like, for example, I personally, when, whenever I have anxious moments, mm -hmm. right, sometimes it really just requires, like, an internal talking to. Yes. To get you out of that place. Yes. And I remember being younger and feeling like, man, I just literally cannot get control of my anxiousness. Yes. Or this, this nerve. Um, so you think it's something that you can teach someone how to kind of get through? Absolutely. Because like, with performance, Absolutely. for example, how do you think? So being a former athlete, per se, right? It, and I'm a former, like, pageant competitor, right? So you're about to hit the stage and it's like, I just can't mess up. Babe, it's this simple. Right. And, and the truth is, it is extremely simple when you think about it, but it's difficult to do. Mm -hmm. You only become a master at something through repetition. Right. And it takes a thousand movements to become muscle memory, which means you have to do the very thing you're afraid to do over and over and over again for a long period of time to become a master to the point where it becomes muscle memory. The way I was able to get through my performance anxiety was and it started with basketball and it continued through football. Every time I, I started to do something new, it was a challenge to master it. Mm. So the easiest thing today is to say, keep doing it over and over again until you master it. The difficult is to have the consistency to do it and become a master. But that's how you do it. You know how I got through my anxiety with basketball? I took layups over and over again. I did free throws over and over again. I shot shots in the same spot over and over again and dribbled that basketball over and over again to the point where when my anxiety came up, I knew in my heart that I'm a master at what this is about to do. 
and I could close my eyes and be successful at it. That eased my body because I wasn't worried about how I was going to perform. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had mastered what it is I wanted to do. And that's how it helped me through sports, right? With football, I used to have anxiety about catching punts. I didn't catch punts in college, but I told them in the NFL I could. So after practice, I used to catch 50 punts. After every single practice, when everybody else used to go inside, I would spend another 45 minutes after practice to an hour sometimes catching punts over and over again so that once the game comes, I didn't have to be nervous of whether or not I'm going to drop it. About it because yeah. the fear of the unknown is what draws anxiety out, right? You start thinking, what happens if? What mm -hmm. happens if? When you know in your mind that there is no what happens if because I know what I'm going to do, the anxiety goes away. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've ingrained in Jackson. Jackson's like, dang, why well, I got to do 200 shots a day? You got to make 200 shots a game so that when the game comes around, you're not concerned about whether or not the shot's going to go in. You're concerned about how I'm going to get to that spot so I can mm. make the shot go in. Then it becomes fun. It's no longer what if this happens, maybe if. No, I know what I got to do because I've mastered it. Mm -hmm. And I, I also preach to him, what I've learned is, your mastery doesn't guarantee a victory. Because other people are also mastering their craft, their craft as well. At the same time, yep. So you're not worried about the, the, the victory. You're worried about mastering your craft and doing it the best of your ability. And what you realize is that if I didn't win the game, I have to work even harder the next time. Mm -hmm. So it's a process that never stops. You never get to a point of mastery where I'm a master now. I don't have to work no more. You have to maintain mastery by continuing to work. And that's how I've learned to rid my anxiety. That's why I read so much. That's why I love doing auditions because now the anxiety for some people comes with an audition, right? They go, I got an audition. If I, what am I supposed to do? Well, have you read that script over and over and over and over and over mm -hmm. again? And then one more time to make sure you have the words and then another time to make sure you understand it. And people are like, dang, you read the scripts that many times? Yes. Mm -hmm. I read the scripts in the sides over and over again up until I walk into that door so that when the anxiety hits, I can find that relaxed moment where it's like, I know what I got to do. And I walk in it and the mastery just comes out. You know what I have not been able to master when it comes to anxiety? What's that? Being a mom. Being a mom. Wow. That's, and having wow. children. Because, you know, we're talking about performance anxiety. Wow. I never. Wow. I live in a constant state of anxiety. Are you worried about messing your kids up or are you worried your kids? Everything. Won't I, I, it's a constant state of anxiety. I feel like I have my actual heart walking around outside times five. There's you mm -hmm. and there's my boys. And as a mom, I don't think I'll ever not exist in some space of anxiety or worry. And that's exhausting. But well, I never thought about that. Yeah. And, and that's just like a different form of anxiety because I, I feel like I'm, I'm never going to fully be in control of yeah, life. Yeah. I'm never going to fully be in control of their lives the people around them, the scenarios they're going to be yeah. in as they grow. And it is an exhausting space to be in as a parent, as a wife, um, because I don't know if I can always protect my children. You can't. Right? There's, and, there's and, no don't know. You yeah, do know. Well, I know. You I know, know that can. I can't always protect my children. I know that I can't always protect or be there for my husband. Like, And that is... I think for me was like the turning point in my life where I realized like, you know, when you just say, mm. why you always think the worst sometimes? Or mm. It's like as a mom, you just 
think of the worst case scenarios. It's like mm. when you see a child walking and you're just like, shoot, he's about to fall. I know he's yeah. about to fall. And you know, you go to grab them because it's that instinct kicks yeah. in. I am living in a constant state of anxiety and worry. And I don't know how to keep it under control sometimes. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because I never thought of it like that, but I do kind of apply the same method even to my kids. Take Dakota, for example, right? I notice you and your mom are very high strung when it comes to Dakota. Mm. Him falling, him having an accident. I remember everybody was like, we just need to buy gates. The house is so big. He can walk around everywhere and fall, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than fearing that he may fall and then putting up all of these barricades to stop him from going places, I am of the mindset that let me walk him through these places and have him practice doing the things that I, oh, I'm I afraid of him failing at mm -hmm. and getting hurt so that he masters it. Like going up and down the stairs. Yo, Coda can go up and down the stairs. You want to know why? Because dad sat there with him and let him, you know, go down the stairs backwards and if he were going to stumble to keep my hand there just in case. Mm -hmm. And I let him do that a couple of times up and down until it became like, wait a minute. I can do this on my own and he starts to move up and down. So he developed a muscle memory. So he developed muscle <laughs> And now the anxiety for me being concerned if my son is going to fall down 27 steps, that's how many steps it is from upstairs to down. I'm afraid that he's going to fall down those steps. No, I've watched him and practiced with him go over it so many times that I know he can do it. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't guarantee that he's never going to fall. But what I'm not concerned is that my son is going to go to a place that he's never seen before and not know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I think as a parent, that's what I always try to do as a parent to four boys, right? You have to go to school this road. I'm not going to just say, well, you got to go down that road. You and I are going to drive this road so you can see what it looks like. We're going to walk this road to see what it's like when you're walking, right? I'm going to wait until it's raining one day and you can. I'm going to walk with you mm -hmm. while it's raining so you can see... And I'm going to trust that after we've done this together a number of times that you got it. And at, at that point, the anxiety is gone because we've done this together. I right. feel that with you. You go places sometimes by yourself. And I'm like, Kadeen has never done this without me. I get worried. <laughs> but I've learned to respect that if we worked on the foundation together, you'll be yeah. fine. But you there's know? also two. Okay, so they've mastered how to walk that path. But then... So me is thinking, okay, they can walk the path on their own. Now I'm worried about the people who are around them, the mm -hmm. people who may see them, the people who may be driving by, you know, the people who might be snatching up people. Like, mm -hmm. it's just like a compounded layer. <laughs> Every time I feel like, okay, I'm confident with this because my mom used to say it all the time. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about, about the crazy people. people out there, you know? And it's just, it's just really an exhausting space to be in. Um, and it takes a lot to really say to yourself, you can't be there all the time. You can't protect the way you want to all the time. But but my thing is, why not be proactive with those thoughts? Mm -hmm. For example, I'm I get concerned about, you know, the highest rated the, the child that is kidnapped the most in Atlanta mm -hmm. is black boys. Mm -hmm. That is a fact. Mm -hmm. You look it up. I'm not going to sit back and hope no one kidnaps my son. I'm going to teach my children mm -hmm. tactics to avoid these things and mm -hmm. we're going to work on it all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why I I feel like People like me, my dad just be talking all the time. Everything's a life lesson. Everything's like every, an explanation. Everything's a, yeah. you know, everything is a this. Everything. And I just like, because there's so many different variables in life, if I see a chance to teach you about something, it rids me of my anxiety mm -hmm. that you may not know and have to figure out on your own. That's true. So I'm always in a constant state of teaching mm -hmm. so that I can feel comfortable 
when my children walk out in the world that we've gone over this. And if I notice something or if I see something that would give me anxiety, I don't sit back and go, I hope my sons don't go. No, it's like, yo, I'm worried about this. Mm-hmm. Jackson, have you ever <laughs> considered that this or have you ever worried about this? And he'll be like, I ain't think about that. And I said, exactly. I'm thinking about it. What would you do if this were to happen? Right. What would you? What would be your plan? And he'd be like, I'm not sure. I said, well, let's come up with a plan together. Mm-hmm. I feel like that may be the difference between, and I don't want to say moms and dads because I don't think you can put a gender on how people handle situations. But I do notice that your mom is a worrier mm-hmm. and you're a worrier. My and grandmother was a worrier. My mother Everybody's is a worrier. Worrying, yeah. But my my parent, my father, my uncles, my granddad were all proactive and being like, this may happen. Let's discuss this. You know, mm-hmm. like one of my kids, he's, well, not one of my kids, but one of the kids I mentor, mm-hmm. a ton of them I mentor, 75% of them are from single moms. Mom buys him a car, right? Buys him a car. Gives him the car. Did you have any discussions with him about this car? No, I'm just so worried about things. So you just gave him a car. You didn't talk to him about how to deal with police. You didn't talk to him about what happens if if the oh car God, is so not many working. Variables. Like all the variables you didn't. You just yeah. gave him the car and you're worried about it. That's why you have anxiety. When my father gave me the car, my father sat down with me for about 18 hours. <laughs> And discussed every possibility that could happen in this car. And by the end of it, I almost didn't want the car no no more. more. Because I was like, bro, (laughs) all that shit could happen. But now I'm prepared. He walked through every, from from the motor to the transmission to the the car, everything. The wheels. How do you know how to change a tire? You know how to get to the tire? Do you know what a flat? Do you know how this? And I'm just like, bro, let me figure it out. But now I understand why that was his way of dealing with anxiety. And I feel like men have a different way of dealing with anxiety, mainly because it's always been put on us through social conditioning that is your responsibility to make take sure care, everything's okay. Make sure everything's okay. Yeah. That that's what we're trained to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like that's what's helped me in life. And it, things are changing now because as women have been in the workforce, there are a lot more men who are preparing their daughters. Mm-hmm. They're saying like if I had a daughter, I'm not preparing my daughter like the old school. Wait, remember when we were... Um, <laughs> you mean not preparing us Yeah, no, right, right. <laughs> the old school way was not preparing you. It was just like, well, figure it out because we did, so... Which is crazy. Like, mm-hmm. you watch people who have children and it's like you have sons and you prepare your sons for all of these things. And then when it's your daughter, you just, like, you just don't... You just coddle them mm-hmm. and keep them away from everything. And I was talking to my grandfather about that and my aunts and uncles and they were just like, yeah, they didn't have certain conversations with us as young women that they had with our brothers. Mm-hmm. And then it made me realize why so many women, for example, have anxiety. It's like you were not even prepared. It was always like someone's going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. The world's changing now. Yep. Women no don't want to be taken care of. Yeah, no more damsel in distress. Like, at all. I think my, my anxiety kicks up the most now, too. Aside from the kids and, and, and um, just life and worrying about them as a mom, mm-hmm. it's just also, too, knowing that shit has to get done. Mm-hmm. And living in this space of... People wanting instant gratification, right? Like you have to do something now. Everything can be very overwhelming, right? Absolutely. You know, you and I have realized that we've developed anxiety just even with our phones. Yes. Like I, I sometimes Ding. like I hear my phone go off and I literally, <laughs> I, I like my stomach starts to turn. 
You know, or I get an alert and I'm just like, oh my God, it's like, what, what does is it Demora now? Have for us to right, do now? Demora. What does the, <laughs> we nicknamed her Demora. What, what is it now that we have? Um, which is a, a total blessing because it's always usually great stuff it is happening. A blessing. It is a blessing. But at the same time, it does not take away from the fact that it's just like, man, I have anxiety with just the fact that people need access to me now right. and they want access when they want it. And God forbid you don't give them that access in that moment. It's just like, well, what happened to Kadeen? Yeah. You know, I take a day or two off of social media, people are messaging, like, is everything okay? And is it that we've conditioned people into that? Yes. Because it's crazy to me because it's now it's like I feel like I'm in the space of now I'm going to have to uncondition y'all because if I want my space and I want my peace, I want it in that moment and it needs to be normalized that that's okay because I may be dealing with the high level anxiety on my end with everything else I got going on. But that's why phones have notifications you can silence. That's exactly And if people started, are checking up on you, you can put those things aside and say, I don't need to be checked on. I just need space and time. You know, but I do appreciate people checking in because that means they're invested in not only what we can provide them with entertainment, but also they're invested in our, our, our health, health and, and our yeah, well-being, so which true. I appreciate. So shout out to y'all for checking in on us. For sure. For sure. But sometimes it's like, man, I just need I just need a moment. I just need a moment. There's a lot of things that's juggling. So I want to look time. at some of these myths, you know, yeah. because uh, Tribble does a good job of finding stuff for us to uh, dissect and see what we think. Because, you know, it's great to hear people's opinions. About mm -hmm. things, right? But everybody has an opinion. Let's see what's actually fact and what's real and what's not. So let's look at some of these myths. Mm -hmm. Number one, anxiety is a choice or a personal problem. Many black people believe that with the right attitude or prayer, they can get rid of mental health, mental health issues. Mental health conditions are serious health problems that a person cannot think or pray away. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. And this is important for us to talk about as people mm -hmm. who, who have faith, mm -hmm. who've been raised through faith. Right. It is important for people to know being anxious is very different than having anxiety. Right. As anxiety a is a disorder. Yes. Like that is like that people is, be people are, are medicated. For yes, yes. Anxiety disorder. And people need to mm -hmm. understand the difference. Right. Because what happens, especially in the black community, mm -hmm. is man, you anxious, man. Let go and let God. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, if I'm anxious, I can let go and let God. Mm -hmm. If I have anxiety, <laughs> right. you know, that's, that's something that's in me that needs to be addressed. And right. you can't pray or hope that away. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to understand the difference. The myth in the black community is that if you pray and you meditate, mm -hmm. God will control all. But right. what they don't understand is anxiety, a lot like depression, is a disorder that may be a chemical imbalance that you may have to go yep. see a chemical doctor imbalance. to. Yep. Yes, you may have to go see a doctor to speak about mm -hmm. and get addressed. Mm -hmm. Right. One thing black people also hate is to hear about medication because, and it's important to understand the history. Um, young black men and women are medicated at a higher rate than any other demographic in the country mm -hmm. and they started this as part of the the look into the prison the school the prison pipeline mm -hmm. right it was at first as a child they diagnose you with a disorder mm -hmm. right you adhd or blah 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 they give you medication after the medication if it doesn't work then you you oftentimes get in trouble detention they said detention often leads to the detention center which means that if you get young black people to be in trouble from early you always have a record of how how their behavior is mismanaged and it's easier to get them to prison from school. And because of that whole dynamic and that whole system that has been created, black people are afraid, one, of doctors, and two, especially medication. And then think about the levels of stress that we've had to deal with over years, like yes. compounded. Because when you look at anxiety as being a chemical imbalance, they say it can be caused by severe or long-lasting stress yes. that 
literally changes the chemical balance that controls your mood. Absolutely. So that that experiencing of stress over long periods of time is a direct correlation between anxiety disorder. And, and what people need to understand is why, why, why does it have to be race all the time, right? There's a reason why. There have been systems in place since we were brought over here mm -hmm. in 1619 and some of us before that that have not allowed us to flourish mm -hmm. or even exist as regular human beings, mm -hmm. right? Not to bore you with the Black History because I know it's Black History Month, but when you think about the enslavement of our people, then the Vagrancy Act, then Jim Crow laws, segregation, mm -hmm. then mass incarceration, the things that we've had to deal with to exist in this country specifically, especially Black Americans, have created a PTSD mm -hmm. because those systems created the ghettos we lived in. Yep. Those systems have created the disenfranchising of our people mm -hmm. that most of us have known now to be normal. And right? if we created our own communities, they were burned down. So exactly. So, And, and it's important for that. you to talk about that because people say all the time, well, how come black Americans haven't figured out a way to pick themselves mm -hmm. up by their bootstraps and be successful? We have. We have. Several times. And if you think, if you, if you go and Google the drowned cities, mm -hmm. these are drowned cities of, of African Americans who were successful, whose cities were either bombed, burned down, and then drowned to create uh, other opportunities for white settlers who were here. Yep. So this whole idea that black people just need to figure out on their own how to get themselves out of their plight is just not real. Mm -hmm. And that also attributes to the PTSD because there's always this fear when you exist in America that my blackness is going to be my downfall because someone else doesn't want me to be successful. Mm -hmm. And that is a real fear. Mm -hmm. And when you're born with that fear, even the, the discussion you have to have with your children about being black in America and dealing with police. Oh my God. When yeah. you listen to other demographics, um, except for brown people, of course, you know, um, Latinx people have had similar situations, especially more recently um, in America, dealing with the same ghettos and stuff like that. But the, cause, the causation of everything that we've been through now, after all, 400 years of the enslavement of our people and the disenfranchising of our people, have created a, a realistic anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it all stems from our living situations. For example, you don't grow up on a farm watching your parents build their own business. You grew up in the ghettos. Mm -hmm. You live in cities where we're on top of each other. If you had to live in an apartment building or a project house, you have someone on top of you, underneath to your right and to your left. Simple things, waiting for the elevator, mm -hmm. alternate right. side of the street parking, oh my goodness, Laundry. dealing with violence and poverty yeah. and the militarization of the police outside of your home, that is not normal. People don't have to live like that. But in the black communities, a lot of times it's like, oh, that's just, that's just Flatbush. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like that's how Crown we grew Heights. up. Yep. You know what I'm saying? That having that conversation with my parents, yo, tuck your chain in when you go down here or don't wear this color when you go in that neighborhood because- those are things that cause anxiety. Oh, for sure. You just you know? can't exist freely. You know what I found pretty interesting too when I looked up like what's the, when I look up anxiety disorder and like what group or demographic mm -hmm. has it um, more likely than others, it's usually women and adults under the age of 35. I think about even just now, that was a report that was done in 2016. So we were in the thick of things when it came to social media, right? Mm. So I think about the added layer of oh, what man. social media causes on that demographic because you are now having access as teenagers to social media. You're trying to figure out who you are, find yourself with this oversaturated market of information that's in your face daily. 
you can understand why there's a direct correlation between the increase of anxiety disorder amongst people under 35. We're still trying to figure shit out. Like, I think my anxiety, in addition to becoming a parent, at least in some mm. markets, have started to kind of tank as I became sure of myself. Like, I know Absolutely. who I am, you know, for the most part at this age, depending on the day. But I, I know who I am. So that anxiety that I have about certain yes. things when it comes to career or just life or work, I can navigate a little bit more freely around. But that under 35 demographic. I feel bad it, for them yeah, kids. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough time trying to figure out who they are. Because you're in a constant state of comparing your real life to someone else's highlight Highlights, reel. Exactly. Because that's what you the watch. The facades. On top of that, you're being fed mm -hmm. um, a lot of negativity. For sure. You know, like, like when we were growing up, you had to look and search and find things. But when you have this phone now, mm -hmm. you can just open it up. And then now you're being fed so many thoughts and ideas that can create anxiety. Think about when um, we had to put a cap on Jackson with YouTube watching. Yes. Because he was watching sports highlights and mm -hmm. he was starting to get into this rabbit hole of injuries yes and watching people get injuries yes and then he would go to play a game or go to work out and he'd be timid and we're just like bro why why don't like, we were like why doesn't he have that yeah. like dog in him where's that and it's because he's playing timid because he's like oh i saw such and such did this crossover and he rolled his ankle and now he's out and that's literally what was consuming him yes Playing in fear because he feared injury. Yeah. So I'm like, bro, that information that's being fed yeah. to you is going to become yeah. your reality at some point. Yeah. You have to, we have to stop that. Yes. And it's absolutely. important for parents to also making sure that they're tuning in to what their children are watching and stuff because it can be hard and it can seem impossible sometimes with as much access as they have. And you know what's crazy? The older generation felt like that with us when it came to television. Mm. And then when it came to computers. Mm -hmm. So it's like every generation, as technology gets better, which is supposed to be for the enhancement of human, the right. human race, right. there's always this fear that with the, the greater the technology, the greater the anxiety, because now you have access to too much information. And that overload of information, if you don't have the emotional capacity to understand yeah. what it is or the mental fortitude to... Uh, What's the word I can think? To filter it properly, mm -hmm. it can be overwhelming and cause anxiety. And like I said before, doesn't cause you to be anxious, actually cause anxiety. And mm -hmm. I think we as parents have to learn how to manage that with our kids and even ourselves. For sure. You know? For sure. And know how to spot it too, right? Because we said yeah. it manifests itself differently in different people. So here's some other myths. Uh, psychological differences are natural. That's the myth. The truth is some psychological ailments such as anxiety can be brought on by environmental factors, which like is what talked we talked about. about yeah, just now. With uh, like being black living, in America. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, black children do not experience mental health problems. That is a myth. Mm -hmm. Children can and do face mental health issues. Uh, yeah. That is important for people to understand. That's a fact. Stop thinking your children are lying. But that's also too why I feel like you need to have the conversations over and over again with your kids. Like you need to investigate how they feel. You need to talk about it because no longer are we doing the whole kids need to be seen and not heard thing. And yeah. some people may not agree with that. But for us, at least, we know yeah. within this household, it is important for all of our boys to feel like they are allowed to be vocal, that we can hear them, we can help them kind of um, dissect their feelings yeah. and, and what they're going through in certain moments. Like that's super important as parents to be able to kind of help them build that emotional compass, if you will, yes. um, with how to deal with their feelings. But I, um, but I also think that understanding that anxiety is not all natural, that it's also nurture. Mm -hmm. Parents can also learn to do a better job to not create 
anxiety in this. Moments. You know what I'm saying? Like we've we've we even talk about that with your mom. I was just about in to them. say go ahead, that. Go ahead, because I know that I see it in your face. Go ahead. Literally, I, I, my mom is a, a warrior. Mm-hmm. She is a worry. She is always going to worry. She's always going to think the worst. Like that's just how she's always been. And I might have inherently got some of that from mm-hmm. her. But she helps us a great deal in the morning, yes. for example, with getting the boys ready for school. And my philosophy is when we're getting the boys out the door in the morning, I want them to leave the house feeling invigorated and mm-hmm. feeling like they can tackle the world. And anytime they're walking through the door, the first, the last thing I say to them is go be great today. Like that's what mm-hmm. I want for them. That's what's up. But I realize that sometimes in the morning, like, you know, it's just the looking at the clock. You have three different kids to get ready. Who needs lunch? Who needs yeah. what? And sometimes my mom gets a little flustered, Yeah, you know, and her being flustered in turn makes the boys flustered. Right. And this is how they're starting their day. Yeah. And this is what they're taking to school with yeah. them. I feel like we need to set the tone when they leave the house first thing in the morning to set them up for success. Because they're battling and, and tackling so many things when they finally Throughout get out the there in the world, you know? So I say to her sometimes, like, okay, relax. Like, okay, they're running five, ten minutes behind. It's all right. It's all right. We'll be fine. We'll make it up on the ride to school. Or, you know, there's little ways yeah. to just kind of help to deflect, you know, that excitement. So that way the boys don't absorb all that. So before we go take a break, so now we got to take a break before we get to listen to letters. Mm-hmm. I want to I wanna talk about what we do mm-hmm. to help remove anxiety from our lives, right? Mm-hmm. I know for a fact, one thing I am big on is I don't ever want my wife to deal with anxiety. Mm-hmm. My focus was to create I don't want to say soft, but create the softest life I could so that my wife could be free and live comfortably. Mm -hmm. Same thing for my children. Um, Do you think about that as a wife? Mm -hmm. Like, how are you going to remove anxiety from the house for your husband? Absolutely. Um, I think I've been thinking about it more recently, too, because a lot of it for me, I realize, has become like an attitude shift or picking my approach to certain mm -hmm. things. For example... We had a crazy 2022. Right. I had to pack at one point for all six of us to do this travel show. Yes, I remember. You remember? That was a lot. And it was a lot. We had a lot going on. It was a lot of travel, a lot of back and forth, a lot of packing, unpacking, and repacking. And I remember coming to you and being like, I have to pack for all these kids and I have all this stuff and I can't find this and I'm trying to do that. And, da, da, da. and Deval is just like, I understand, Kay, but A- this is your task because we all had our tasks. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So he's like, this is your task. Um, two, we're doing a travel show with our kids. Like, right. this is an awesome opportunity yeah. for us to go and have a good time yeah. with the boys. You complain about not spending enough time with them when we travel. We are traveling on a show <laughs> with the boys. Right. How about you take the approach of, you know what? I'm going to throw some outfits in there. I just can't wait to get to wherever I'm getting to as long as I have my boys and my husband with me. Who cares what we're wearing? Right. You know? And I was just like, you know what? You're absolutely right about that. So notice how I've been the past couple of times that we've had to pack. I don't complain about that stuff. My husband. Okay. I know he's about to go film. So he needs to be in the best shape possible. Am I going to add to his stress and anxiety by throwing a fit every time he says, okay, you know, we are, what time are we going to the gym today? Because we know we're trying to do this together. I'm trying to get myself in shape. You're mm-hmm. trying to get yourself in shape. So how do I now make it an easier situation for both mm-hmm. of us by not adding stress and worry to you, having to worry about me in a moment where you're trying to take care of yourself? 
You know what I'm saying? I get it. So I get, so it's all about your approach to every situation. My approach to situations. To if remove, I can control my yeah. approach and really just be like, Kadeen, are you over here throwing a fit about something that A, other people would love to have the opportunity to to do, or B, you're you can set the tone for your family and your kids and your husband and the way they feel in this moment. Why not just choose to do that? Some things became a choice for me. So so ultimately you're just choosing to not project your anxiousness right. onto the people around you that you love. Yeah. In an attempt to remove all aspects of anxiety that could exist in the house. Mm-hmm. And then not having that anxiousness projected back on you. But so even for myself, right. Even but just for myself, yeah. right. Because I'm finding ways to deal with my anxiety. I could alleviate the anxiety from you guys and then just take it all on myself and be like, oh my God, I'm going to crumble inside because mm-hmm. I've taken it off of everyone else. But I realized a lot of my anxiety was coming from feeling overwhelmed and feeling not prepared. Mm-hmm. And when I just took the approach of like, okay, things are going to get done in the time it needs to get done. Mm-hmm. Let me reprioritize. Let me figure some things out. Let me delegate. Let me ask for help when needed then my anxiety levels tended to decrease. Oh, that's, I see, I see. It's, it's funny to hear you talk about certain things because we don't really discuss this. You just see changes. Yeah. And you're like, what be your thought process here? Mm-hmm. But now I see because I was kind of, I was even talking to Tribble last night and I was just like, if you notice, Kadeen be in the gym, like she was just going there by herself. Where in the past, I had to be on her about mm-hmm. being in a gym and then it becomes an argument. Mm-hmm. But that also goes to the nurture, right? I remember I just apologized to you mm-hmm. the other day because I realized how much I was probably causing you anxiousness, mm-hmm. which could lead to anxiety because I was just on you about everything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that came from insecurities in myself and me projecting. For example, um, when we were having financial issues, mm-hmm. everything used to tick me off. For like, sure. Like as you're on edge all the time. Always on edge. So mm-hmm. because I'm on edge and you're the closest person to me, the only way I could like alleviate some of that was to pretty much project it on you. Like mm-hmm. it seemed like you was blamed for everything. Mm-hmm. And I had apologized to you about that too. It's like that I'm probably created so much anxiety in my wife because she felt like she couldn't do anything right because no matter what she was doing, it was wrong. And it literally had nothing to do Real with life. you in the moment. It was just Thank you for acknowledging that because I, a yeah. lot of anxiety came from me trying to keep up with you. I, I get it. I get it. And mm-hmm. and I think that helps too in relationships when you can realize like, dang, I created a very unhealthy, unsafe space for my partner mm-hmm. because I just put so much anxiousness on them. Mm-hmm. And And to be honest, man, it's just, there's no need for it. But until you learn how to cope with your own anxiousness or anxiety, mm-hmm. You tend to just throw it on other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like this because of you. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that that's what I was doing. Right. You know, from like my 20s to like my early 30s when I was trying to figure things out. And that fear of not knowing or that that fear of the unknown and, and not knowing how to get through certain things. It was just like, I feel this way because of you. Mm-hmm. I can handle everything I can control of. You're the reason why I feel like this. Well, think about it. You had asked me recently. I think you had said something to like me at some point and I might have gotten like teary eyed about it. Yeah. And then you had said something to Jackson and he like started to cry. And then I forget who else you were talking to about something. And they also got emotional. Your mom. And you, it was mom or Denora or something. Mm-hmm. Like They got emotional. And, and you were just like, yo, why is it that every time I just express how I feel to someone they get teary eyed and they want to cry mm-hmm. and I was like because like <laughs> we feel like a like we're disappointing you like we're, we're not you know adequate enough like we're not reaching to your level or standard of excellence and we know that you're excellent because you've proven to be excellent so mm-hmm. it's like you have everyone around you trying mm-hmm. to you know 
um, meet you where you are. And if you fall short, you're just like, damn, you're feeling like you're just being a disappointment. Right. And that creates a level of anxiety in the people around you because we just want to be able to be good enough. We want to be able to make you proud. We want to be able to match the right. efforts that you put out, which we've seen have made you so successful, you know? So that also was adding a layer of anxiety, I think, when we look at dissecting like us, the kids, the household and stuff. So it was also it was also the pressure I was putting on everyone else to re meet the standard right. and continue in the process the same way I did the process. Exactly. And I think that was the, the greatest right. thing. And I think once you realize, okay, everything can be attainable, but everyone has a different process, then yeah. it was like, oh, okay, so everything's going to get done. Maybe not in the manner or time frame right. that you would do but it, it will get done. but it's going to get done, you know? And once we realize that, then it's like, oh, okay, everyone's moving, yeah. you know, according to how they see fit and um, the balls weren't getting dropped. Well, I mean, balls always getting dropped <laughs> in this house. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, that's one thing I'm never anxious about. <laughs> All right, y'all, oh, we're going to go take a quick break and uh, pay a couple bills and we will get back into listener letters when we return. You may be aware that most people who are black have O blood type. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. All right, ladies, let's be real. Who here actually enjoys shaving their legs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so. And get this. Near, yes, near, the OG that I used for years has now leveled up. And they have these new sensational shower creams and body creams that smell amazing. My personal favorite, coconut oil and vitamin E because it's gentle on my skin. And down to the body cream, rich cocoa butter and vitamin E body cream, which is a modern take on indulgent and classic femininity. Okay, it works in as little as three minutes, no nicks, no cuts, and the smooth skin lasts days longer than shaving. Nair's new sensational shower and body creams are free of all those nasty chemicals so you can feel good about what you're putting on your skin. Have a me time moment with Nair, the number one hair removal brand. Smell for yourself. Try the reformulated Nair body and shower creams available at retailers nationwide and online. There's power in every purchase because every time we buy a black lead brand, we make room for another black lead brand. And y'all know I love my lip bar products. That's just one to name a few. There is a whole collection of black lead products that fit into your daily routine. Show black founders some love, not just during Black History Month. But all year long. That's right, y'all. Black founders and the products they bring to the table are creating a whole new world of choices at Walmart. That's right. Go to walmart.com slash black and unlimited to discover all the amazing black owned products you can add to your daily routine. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. 
this is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, y'all, we're back with listener letters. I'm going to dive right in. Hey, y'all, I am a new listener, and I've been listening to, I've been listening to binge listening at work. Mm. I've been binge listening at work. Love you guys' connection and how you both love each other, but I need y'all help. I'm 28, and I have one child. I've been dating this guy for going on three years. I know shit weird. It makes no sense, probably. <laughs> Oh, no, you've been dating for three years. He's 31 with no kids. Prior to dealing with him, I just got out of a physically, emotionally, and financially abusive relationship with my child's father. Four years and never once, I believed, claimed he claimed me to be his girlfriend. Things with this guy have been good, great even. I'm happy on all levels. I know for sure I'm the only person he talks to and I the, I only talk to him. We talk about the future. We go on dates, vacations, etc. But he says he doesn't want a relationship due to trust issues from his past. But here we are three years later. I feel kind of foolish for waiting around without certainty, but I don't really have a reason to walk away he wants to go with the flow but i've been flowing and just curious when and if i should start pressing the issue i told him i loved him and he said it back and i and expressed that he felt the same but he's still not emotionally but he is still emotionally not expressive so i just stopped saying it to see if he would hasn't happened we're private but not secretive he's only met my son I've met no family. He says he doesn't bring girlfriends around. He met my son for the first time this Christmas by his choice and brought him thoughtful gifts. But I'm just genuinely confused because he doesn't vocalize his feelings towards me. What should I do or what can I do to get him to be a little bit more comfortable expressing? I, I This is what I feel. <laughs> I feel like I feel like she's tiptoeing. Uh-huh. And it's like, I should try. What should I say? When is the right time? Right. This is the season I'm in. I'm telling people how I feel, what I need, what I desire. And I'm asking the same thing in real time. If we are in alignment, let's rock. Mm-hmm. If we're not in alignment, let's both make the choice to do what's best for either one of us. Like right. the whole idea that there's a certain time or this is the right way. No, mm-hmm. this is your life. You have one inalienable right and that's to survive by any means necessary, and have fun doing it. Mm -hmm. If you feel a certain way, if you feel uncomfortable, express it to him and how he responds. Take it for what it is. Accept it. If he tells you who he is, don't be upset. Don't judge him and be like, okay, cool. If it works for you, we here. If it's not, we move on. Yeah, because I'm also wondering what exactly it is you're looking for because you didn't really express it in here. Are you looking to be exclusive? Are you looking to, are you dating with the potential for marriage? Like what exactly is your um, desire here too? Are you just wanting him to express how he feels so you can move forward accordingly or not? I think you need to have a clear vision or clear image of what you want 
first. And after having conversations with him, does it align or does it not? Because one thing you got to do is believe people when they tell you who they are. Absolutely. And you can't try to convince him otherwise. If he's saying that he doesn't want to be in a relationship, he doesn't want to be in a relationship. There you go. You can't convince him of that. There you go. He needs to be convinced or changed and Mm -hmm. that he decides, yes, I do want to embark on a relationship that's exclusive. And then you can join him in that. Stop trying to change people's minds. I think that's what a lot of people nowadays try to do is feel like if I double down or if I pivot this way or if I say that or if I do that, it's going to make this person change their mind and get on board. Someone's not going to get on board a train that never was going to reach the destination they wanted in the beginning. So, um, yeah, speak with them, have the conversation, but know exactly what you want out of it. And don't don't um, waver in that. No, he just may not be the right match for you. If that's the case. I agree with that. Good luck to you. Good luck, sis. Hey, Kadeen and DeVal. What's up? I'm a young woman, age 23, in a monogamous relationship with a young man, age 20. Y'all babies. Mm -hmm. I love y'all and have put him on to y'all as well. We pre-ordered hard copies of your book to read together. Thank you. Our relationship is fairly new. Our one-year anniversary is in February. We have almost completely different personalities and outlooks on life, but somehow find ourselves having the same goals. We find ourselves in clashes about the smaller things, more than big things. Although our relationship is new, we have both stated we want longevity for a lifetime and to build a family. Even though growing pains be whooping our ass, mm-hmm. been there, through everything, I take consideration of him first with whatever I do. I feel as if he doesn't do the same for me. What advice can you give as we continue this journey when we're feeling unconsidered as well as for a healthy relationship? Wow, that's literally like looking at Deval and I Bruh. back at that age. Bruh. One year in is no time. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Give each other grace to figure out how to love each other. And who you are. Yes. Yes, you have to figure out who you are. You, he's 20. Mm-hmm. You're 23. Right. Like, he can't even drink yet. Neither y'all has he, shit figured out. Right. He, he Y'all haven't... <laughs> like, I look at my... I just told Kay this the other day. I, I was listening to the audio book as we were recording it. And I said to Kadeen, I don't know what you saw in me at 22 because I did. I don't like who I was then mm-hmm. looking at it now. I don't know how she could ever like me. Mm-hmm. So give each other grace. Be open and honest about what you want and what you need in real time. This is what Kadeen and I have been doing from the beginning. I told her I didn't want to be a boyfriend. She told me she didn't want to be someone's girlfriend. So we was like, okay, cool. Let's have fun. And through that process of having fun, we loved, we learned how to love each other. Mm-hmm. And there were times where we didn't love each other the same way at the same time. And we expressed that to each other and we figured out how to make it work. So give each other time, grace, but talk openly. Yeah, for sure. Like like lots of conversations. What was it Tiffany just said? Lots of conversations. Not, not brutal honesty. Um. Oh, shoot. What did she just say? Radical transparency. I, and I love that. Shout out to Tiffany Alice. Radical yeah. transparency. Radical transparency. Yes. Sure. And the reason why it's called radical transparency is because the truth doesn't have to be brutal. Right. But it can be radical in the fact that most people don't like telling the truth. And that's mm-hmm. the only reason why it's called radical and it's transparency because that's how you feel. Let them see right through you. Mm-hmm. Be like yourself. Don't be like anybody else. Do that's it, baby. Fact. And I know it's hard to try to grow as individuals and together at the same time while you're trying to figure things out. Yeah. So just take your time, baby. Take your time. All right, y'all. If you want to be featured as one of our listener letters, be sure to email us at deadassadvice at gmail.com. That's D-E-A-D-A-S-S-A-D-V-I-C-E. Because sometimes I'll be forgetting the E. At gmail. <laughs> Moment of truth time. We're talking anxiety, being anxious, anxiety disorder, knowing how to decipher what's what, 
You got a moment of truth for them, baby? Yes. My first, the first part of my moment of truth is this. Oh, it's Unde- a two part. It's a two part. Okay, now. Number one, understand the difference between anxiety and anxiousness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's okay to not try and self-diagnose and go see someone so you know if you have a chemical imbalance mm-hmm. or if you're dealing with just anxiousness is something that you can actually work yourself through. Mm-hmm. First thing is understand the difference and get help if you feel like you may have anxiety and not just be anxious. Mm-hmm. Number two, moment of truth. Realize when you're creating anxiety in other people, all right? Some things, especially if you're in a relationship or in a family or you're in a work environment or you're around friends, it ain't always about you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to look in the mirror and be like, am I the one creating anxiety around the people I love? And if you are, learn how to channel that energy that's causing anxiety to other people and and put it towards something productive so that Mm -hmm. the people around you can look at you as an object of love. And not an object of fear, mm-hmm. which I know I was for a lot of people. And I'm constantly trying to change that now. I love that. I love, that's a little bit of self-reflection moment yeah. there wrapped up in for you. Um, I think my moment of truth is that anxiety goes along the lines or concurrently with boundaries. So I feel mm. like if you set boundaries, which mm. is a big term, I think now for our generation, um, knowing when certain things, situations, certain people, certain scenarios cause you anxiety mm. um, or you see a, a flare up in that, um, knowing when to put the boundary uh, boundary up, when to separate yourselves from people and situations that mm-hmm. cause that to protect your own peace. Because a lot of things I think can be almost self-inflicted or not really self-inflicted, but inflicted by others around you. Like you said, but you're allowing it in because you're allowing it. Right. And it's self-inflicted because you're allowing it to then you know, disrupt your peace. So anxiety and boundaries go hand in hand, y'all, and learn how to how and when to exercise those. I like that. I like anxiety and boundaries go hand in hand. I like that. That's a good moment of truth. Thank you, baby. All right, y'all. Uh, be sure to find us on Patreon if you have not yet. There's so much great exclusive dead ass podcast video content for you guys there. We have live shows. We have lots of family stuff that we're packing into Patreon. So be sure to sign up for that if you have not already. And you can find us on social media on Instagram, dead ass the podcast. I'm Kadeen. I am on IG and TikTok. And I am devout and I am not on TikTok because I'm too old for that. And if you're listening on <laughs> Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Deadass, y'all. Deadass is a production of iHeartMedia Podcast Network and is produced by Denora Pena and Tribble. Follow the podcast on social media at Deadass the Podcast and never miss a thing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. You may have heard that most people who are black have O blood type. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help us save a life. Black excellence 
is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now.